So this morning, John Martin is going to come and speak to us. Um, many of you, most of you will know John. Um, he's generally found behind the keyboard. Um, but on our last away day in September, he made some great comments about worship and the theology of worship in, in our uh, discussion group. And ever since then, I've been wanting to invite him to speak. And today's the day. So let's um, pray for John as he comes to speak to us. Father God, we pray that your spirit may come and presence yourself in John, and that as he brings your word to us this morning, you may anoint his words, that they may speak deeply into our hearts and reveal more of you and your will for our lives. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, Happy New Year. So there's a story of an old farmer who went to the city one weekend and attended the big city church. He came home and asked his wife how it was. Well, said the father, it was good. They did something a bit different, however. They sang praise choruses, praise choruses instead of hymns. Praise choruses asked the wife, what are those? Oh, they're okay. They're sort of like hymns, only a bit different, says the farmer. Well, what's the difference, asked the wife. The farmer says, well, it's a bit like this. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the meadow, well, that would be a hymn. If, on the other hand, I were to say to you, Martha, 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 oh, Martha, 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 the cows, the big cows, the brown cows, the black cows, the white cows, the black and white cows, the cows, cows, cows are in the meadow, are in the meadow, are in the meadow, in the meadow, meadow, meadow. And if I repeated the whole thing two or three times, well, that would be a praise chorus. You know, coincidentally, the exact same Sunday, there's a young new Christian who finds himself away from the city church that he attends um, and, and pops along to the small town church. Over lunch, he comes home, sees his wife, she asks him how it was. Well, said the young man, it was good. They did something a bit different, however. They sang hymns instead of regular songs. Hymns asked the wife, what are those? They're okay. They're sort of like regular songs, only a bit different, says the young man. Well, what's the difference then? asks the wife. The young man says, well, it's like this. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the meadow, well, that would be a regular song. If, on the other hand, I were to say to you, O Martha, dear Martha, hear thou my cry, inclinest thine ear to the words of my mouth, turn thou high wondrous ear by and by to the righteous glorious truth. For the way of the animals, who can explain? There in their heads is no shadow of sense. Hearkens they in God's son or his reign, unless from the mild tempting corn they are fenced. Yea, those cows in glad bovine rebellious delight have broke free their shackles, their warm pens are skewed. Then goaded by minions of darkness and night, they all my mild chilliwack sweet meadow chewed. So look to that bright shining day by day, and all foul corruptions of earth are reborn. Well, no vicious animal make my soul cry, and I no longer see those foul cows in the meadow. Then if I were only to do verses 1, 3, and 4, and change the key on the last verse, well, that would be a hymn. <laughs> so, today we're going to be exploring encountering God in worship. And we're going to be doing that in the context of how we come together um, corporately. So, so this is uh, not about worship throughout our, our lives in the week, the, the sort of general term of worship. This is going to be about how we, we come together corporately. You know, after services, um, uh, sometimes uh, when I've been, been playing in the band or just in general conversation, um, often people come and say, well, I like that new song I did today, or not quite sure about the way you did that. 
Lots of comments about style. And uh, I've been reflecting on this. Uh, very rarely, and I'm partly to blame for this, do we get into a conversation about whether or not we encountered God. It's more about the choice of song, or whether we like the prayers, or the PowerPoint slides. It's not about the outcome, whether or not we come and met with God this Sunday. So uh, keep your Bibles handy. We're going to be taking a journey as we go, uh, go on this journey into encountering God. So let's start by looking at, at why we worship. I'm sure during the last month, I would imagine the most common phrase you've probably sung is, Oh, come, let us adore him. Four times every time we get to that chorus in, Oh, come, we faithful. And there's some truth in that, isn't there? That we come together because we do feel that we should adore him. And throughout the Bible, we see a call, a call of creation to worship. Earlier today, at the beginning of the service, we looked at Psalm 96. Matthew read it to us. And in that, we see that it says, Let all creation be full of joy in front of the Lord. An important principle that we see threaded through the Bible. And you know what? That's because we were made to worship. Made to worship something, at least. The question is what and when and how. Worship as a term, if you look it up, generally means to adore or to admire, to exalt, to love, to magnify, to respect and revere. We can all imagine, no doubt, things that we apply this, this worship concept to. And the word itself comes from the old English word, um, worship, denoting uh, the worthiness of someone to receive that worship. And this morning we're talking about God's worthiness. God, the creator of the universe. Not our worthiness to approach God. This can often be a hindrance, but the fact that God is worthy despite of us. So worship is about an attitude of the heart, an acknowledgement of God, and it's a voluntary physical action or response. It shouldn't be a reaction. So we were invented to worship. And it can sound easy, can't it? We get up on a Sunday morning, um, put our clothes on, come to church, and we're going to be getting down to worship. And we worship God because he's worthy. But is he always worthy? It can be one thing to praise when everything's going well, uh, when we've got a roof over our heads, uh, when the children have complied and put on their clothes and nicely walked to church in the morning. Uh, We've got a job, our friends and family are healthy. Maybe that's when it's easiest to worship. But we see throughout scripture some really key examples of worshipping despite of the circumstances of the world. In Job, and you'll find this in chapter 1 of Job, and it's on page 490, we see a character here who's just received news as we get towards the end of this uh, first chapter, around about verse 20, that all of his children and all of his livestock are known to be dead. And upon hearing that news, the Bible tells us that he tore off his robe and fell on the ground before God. Well, that seems reasonable, and I can imagine doing that. You know, uh, you've had this devastating news. Uh, you, you, you fall to the ground, um, you, uh, you rip off your robes. But then we see something unusual. I can imagine saying, well, why me, Lord? Why, why have you allowed this to happen? Why are all of my children dead? Why, why, is, why has my livestock been taken away? But that's not the response we see from Job. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So despite the circumstances, we see a character here 
who's able to say that the Lord is still worthy, still worthy to be praised despite what's going on. And you know what? There can be quite a release in that if we allow ourselves to get to the point where we can worship in the hard times as well as the easy times. There can be an amendous freedom that comes from that. In Acts chapter 16, we see a different example of worship. Paul and Silas find themselves alone in a dark prison, facing an uncertain future. In fact, they may, look, may well have been on the journey to, uh, to being martyred, to being, to being put to death. And although they were separated from everyone that they loved, they'd been stripped of their freedoms, they were in prison, we see a Paul and Silas who keep on praying and keep singing. In fact, so much so that when we get to midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to, to God, and the other prisoners are started to listen to them. And God reveals himself, an earthquake rocks the place, the doors flew open and the prisoners' chains fall off. The power of worship in encountering God can be immense. And doing that in the hard times, in the uncertain times, can be really important. Some of you will know that by background, uh, I'm a paramedic. Um, uh, I spent quite a, a, a large part of my career uh, front line. And actually, it's a, it's a really fascinating job. And that ability to, to try and worship in the context of that can sometimes be difficult. You go from delivering babies to watching the end of people's lives at all ages. But you know what? God is worthy despite what's going on. And trying to remember that, I think, is an important point we need to grasp. It says in Psalm 34 that we should praise the Lord at all times. His praise should always be on our lips. But maybe we forget that he is worthy all the time. Do we respond on our terms? Is it dependent on how the morning's gone when we come on a Sunday as to whether or not we, we give him the worthiness that he's due? Do we change our concept of how worthy he is? Worship should be our first priority. After all, it is, it is the first commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And we were created to worship, but sometimes we don't, create, uh, sometimes we don't worship God. We worship other things. And you know what? That's not new. It's been happening throughout the Bible. And in Romans, we see... Um, uh, in Romans 1, verse 25, we see this verse... They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. And in the context of Sunday mornings, maybe some of the time we end up worshipping things that we've been created rather than the creator himself. And maybe during the week, we worship the things that um, have been created by God, our family, our jobs, money, sport, music. Maybe we should just take a, a pause at this point to, to think about those things that we do, we do hold up as idols. Those things that gain our worship rather than those things that are God himself. Those things that have been created on this earth that we worship. If the Lord is to be Lord, then worship must have priority in our lives. The divine priority is worship first, and everything else flows from that. 
our lives need to be punctuated with praise, thanksgiving and adoration. And from this flows service that we so often hear about when we're preaching. But service can't be a substitute for worship. There must be worship first. And from that flows a desire to go and serve the Lord. In Matthew 4 we see that you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So challenge one this morning is, does our worship reflect a God who is worthy? And not just a God who is worthy, but a God who is worthy all the time. Irma Bombeck is an American columnist. And in 1970, she wrote an article for which this is the caricature that was drawn. She'd been to church, and she wrote this. In church the other Sunday, I was intent on a small child who was turning around smiling at everyone. He wasn't gurgling, spitting, humming, kicking, tearing the himmels or rummaging through his mother's handbag. He was just smiling. Finally, his mother jerked him about and in a stage whisper that could be heard in a little theatre off Broadway said, Stop the grinning, you're in church. With that, she gave him a belt on his hind side and as the tears rolled down his cheeks added, that's better, and return to her prayers. What must these children think? We sing, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, while our faces reflect the sadness of one who has just buried a rich aunt who left everything to her pregnant hamster. <laughs> in this column in 1970, Irma goes on to talk about her anger at the reflection of God and how we portray him in worship. Does what we do on a Sunday morning reflect the joy of a creator of the universe? We know that when Christ was crucified, that the curtain was torn in two. We see in the passage that Alison read to us, a God who wants us to come and meet him in a new way. The curtain torn in two symbolises the fact that we can enter into God's presence, something that wasn't possible before that crucifixion. Does our worship reflect that on a Sunday morning? In Hebrews we read, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And to do that we require humility. We've got to sort out our hearts and get our attitude in the right place so that we can acknowledge that he is always worthy. It's Epiphany Sunday today, and maybe as the kings came to worship, we can picture how humble they were. There might have been three of them, there might well have been more. And actually, it's unlikely that they went to meet Jesus in a stable, because it was going to be a few years later. But despite that, what we've got here is rich meeting poor. People who've come on a hard journey, likely to have been in their robes, but getting down on their knees probably in an uncomfortable place, certainly an unsafe place. And to do that, they did it with humility. And they did it because they knew that he is worthy. He is worthy all the time, regardless of what's going on. So let's consider a second principle in worship. And uh, let's turn to that passage that Alison read for us, which we'll find on page uh, 1007. 
here we see Jesus uh, on his way uh, back to Galilee, and, uh, and he stops on the way at Jacob's well. And it was uh, noontime, so it would have been the heat of the day, and actually uh, an unlikely time for people to be out because it would have been really hot and people would have been taking their siestas and staying undercover. But here we see the Samaritan woman, and as a Samaritan she would have been a second-class citizen in the Jewish society. It would have been unusual, if not unheard of, for these Samaritans and Jews to be meeting. And certainly in terms of worship, uh, the Samaritans would have been considered unclean, they'd have been discriminated against by the temple or the church, and they wouldn't have been allowed to Jerusalem to worship. They did worship, however, and they were sorting out that worship for themselves. But it's from this context we see, we see the Samaritan woman asking Jesus a question. And we see it in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our people have always worshipped here on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. She's putting a challenging point forward. I'm not allowed there, I get discriminated against. But, but she, she comes and brings that question. And then we see this response <coughs> from Jesus. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will not worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know. Salvation comes from the Jews. But a time is coming, in fact it is already here. True worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in the truth. They are the kind of worshippers the Father is looking for. God in spirit his worshippers must worship him in the spirit and in the truth. So this passage helps us understand that actually the location isn't relevant. It's useful that we come together as Christians on a Sunday morning, and uh, there's, there's good biblical reason why we do that, but actually it doesn't need to be in this building, it could be somewhere else. But the fundamental thing I think we see in this passage is that term spirit and truth. And maybe the word that we really need to grasp there is the word and. In Corinthians we see, and this would have been my other passage I would have picked from this, for this morning, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians and in chapters 11 and 14, we see a church that's got itself in a mess. A church that's got itself in its mess over worshipping. And what we see in those passages is, is some semblance of people trying to pull things back together. Um, it talks about women keeping quiet and putting things on their heads. But this is about trying to get an order back. We see some abuse of the Lord's Supper. Things aren't going right for this church. And what we see embedded in that passage is a reminder that is about our heart. It's about coming in spirit and truth. Not about the rituals that we might do around it, but how we come before God. You know, in some ways it can be easy to be like Jesus if we want our worship to be accepted. <coughs> we have to deny ourselves, we have to follow God the Father, we have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. That flows into loving others, forgiving others. But maybe that's not as easy if we haven't grasped this idea that we worship in spirit and truth. So in this concept we see that there are very much two, two worlds, really. We can worship in spirit... Or we could worship in truth, or we could do both. And you know what? If we worship just in spirit, and that is possible, and it does happen in churches, but we ignore the truth that we see threaded throughout God's word, it can lead to emotionalism, uh, 
that may be responses and reactions uh, to, to that spirit. And at an extreme, we see occultism. We see this idea that we, we might have got the spirit bit right, but we're not doing it in truth. And we can do it the other way around. We can worship in truth, but without the spirit. And quite often that can be embedded in ritualism and formalism and legalism. Truth and spirit are explicitly linked in this passage by the word and. And we have to understand both. A new time is coming, in fact it's already here, where true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They're the kind of worshippers the Father is looking for and the kind of worshippers we need to be. And isn't that exciting? That we can come before God and meet him face to face because the curtain's been torn in two. If we do it with the right attitude, if we come in spirit and in truth, we can meet the creator of the universe. But challenge number two for us this morning is that we can get that wrong. Sometimes we can come and we don't worship in spirit and we don't worship in truth. And you know what? If that's the case, God doesn't receive our worship. If we turn to Amos, which you'll find on page 872, and we look at chapter 5, we see here them bringing what they would normally have done in their worship and God's response um, in verse 21. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. This passage alludes to the heart being the core of the subject of worship. Our heart has to be in the right place, our attitude in the right place, And we have to come like the kings with humility to worship in spirit and in truth. And so, um, I've not really touched on style yet, which may surprise you. But you know what? Are you getting it? It's because largely it's secondary. It's not about what we actually do on a Sunday morning. It's about the attitude of our heart. It's whether we come in spirit and in truth, humbly before a God who created the universe. We can use the right techniques and methods. We can have the best possible liturgy, the best hymns, the best songs. But until spirit touches spirit, we haven't worshipped the Lord. This doesn't make the points irrelevant. Uh, that we should consider what's going on in terms of our worship, but they are secondary. You know, a striking feature of people early in the new church, and we see this often in Acts, but other parts of the New Testament, is that when they come together, they came with an expectancy, an expectancy that they were going to meet with God. Did you come with that expectancy this morning? Were we expecting God to be here as we, as we got up this morning? You know what? Worship isn't a spectator sport. Worship is about all of us coming in spirit and truth before the God who is so worthy of worship.
And maybe we need to think about that holy expectancy as we get up on a Sunday morning or get up any day of the week. There was a young couple who, uh, who were newly married. Uh, they brought a ham to cook for their first Christmas, much like I'm sure most of us did over the last few weeks. And uh, before the girl put it in the pan, uh, she chopped off first one end and then the other end. Why did you do that? asked the husband. My mum always cooks ham like that, she explained. Maybe it helps the flavour. The husband wasn't convinced, rang his mother-in-law. Why do you chop the ends off a ham before it's cooked, he asked. I learned to cook from my mother. She always does it like that. So the young man rings his wife's grandmother. Grandma, can you answer me a question? Why do you cut off both ends of a ham before you cook it? Grandma replies, I used to do that. I only had a small pot, and it was the only way it would fit in. You know what? We should probably be challenging ourselves on what happens on a Sunday morning. Do we do things because we understand why they're important for us to engage in spirit and truth with the creator of the universe? Or do we do them because we've always done them? It's fantastic to be part of a church that um, is ecumenical in nature. So we're both URC, Baptist, Anglican and Methodist. And there's lots of good and important traditions that come from those areas. But maybe some of what we need to do as we consider our vision as a church is explore why we do those things. Are they about glorifying the God, or have we started worshipping the things that we've created rather than the creator himself? How often are we going through the motions? I will sing of your love on Sundays Only sing of your love on Sundays I will sing of your love on Sundays Then this feeling is gone by
You know what, uh, I chuckled at that the first time I've seen it. I've watched it quite a few times over the last couple of days, and it increasingly starts to hit home. How often do we get it wrong? You know what, it's tough to come and worship in spirit and truth every Sunday, and in fact, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. But it's important, and it's our greatest calling. Challenge number three is, how often do we just go through the motions? We come on a Sunday to meet the creator of the universe. You know what? The creator of the universe, who formed the stars. You know what? We've recently found out that there's between 100 and 400 billion stars in our galaxy. And you know what? There's 100 billion galaxies out there. That's the God that we come and meet with on a Sunday morning. And yet, how often do we just go through the motions rather than giving him the awe that is due? Come and worship the God that is so worthy of praise. So point number three is it's not about us. It's about him. And you know what? That realisation that Sunday mornings isn't about our hairdo or about going through the motions is actually quite freeing. When we realise, when we walk through that door, it's about coming to meet the creator of the universe, moves the agenda from us to him. And that's quite freeing. So as we come towards the end, uh, you might be thinking, this is, this is interesting, and I've probably let Matthew and Linda and Pete and Duncan and me and anyone else who stands up here off the hook, really, because I've, I've made it all about you and worshipping in spirit and truth, and coming with the right heart and right attitude. Well, that would be partly to miss the point that there is a role for how worship is constructed. And uh, over recent years, we've seen a, a shift in, in, in terms from you know, uh, priest and minister and worship leader and music leader uh, to a concept of worship curator. And some churches have started advertising for this. And it picks up the idea that a curator is somebody in a museum... Um, actually comes from the, the Latin word curare, which means to care for. And a worship curator takes an artist, in this case God, and carefully selects the elements to try and encourage people to see things that maybe they haven't seen before. I don't think Richard's here this morning, but he is a museum creator, and um, it would be good to talk to him about that, that role and what that means and how it might move into thinking about how we construct our services on a Sunday. But you know what? Those of us who stand up here get it wrong, and we're infallible. Fallible, even. Um, (laughs) uh, And we, we choose the wrong words. And we choose the wrong songs. But I think there is a challenge there as well for us. Because the artist doesn't change. God is still God, even if I've picked the wrong picture or the wrong hymn. And is he not still worthy of our worship? God seeks our heart. He is the same and he's always here waiting for us on a Sunday morning in this building. 
And he's with us in the week when we go to cell groups. And he's with you all the time. That when we come together corporately, something special happens. It allows us to come together before the Lord. So maybe the challenge is God's there and God's waiting. Are we ready to respond? So as we come to a close, we've closed. We've looked at a God who is worthy. And he's worthy all the time, despite of the circumstances of the world. Like the kings on this Epiphany Sunday, we need to be prepared to come and meet him because he is so worthy. We should worship in both spirit and truth. And we should focus our lives on exploring what that really means. Because they are the kind of worshippers that the Father is looking for. Don't you want to be one of those worshippers? And hopefully we've come to realise as we've explored these passages together that actually it's not about us. It's really all about him. And if we get this right, we will encounter God on a Sunday. So as we start a new year, maybe this should be one of the things we continue to focus on. To come and bring... Uh, our worship that is worthy of a king in spirit and truth but with humility maybe the conversations over coffee need to start switching to about whether we encountered God today because he was here maybe that's the question to talk to start your conversation with (coughs) getting our heart in the right place will allow us to worship in spirit and truth Getting our attitude in the right place allows us to understand the truth, the place and the context. And realising that it's not about us, but it's about God, allows us to come humbly before the creator of the universe as we meet on a Sunday. Shall we pray together? Dear Lord, we come before you now. As your people together in Camborne, in this church, in this sanctuary and in this temple, where you are present. And Lord, our desire is to bring you praise and worship that is worthy of the God you are, despite the circumstances of the world. Lord, we're really sorry that we get this wrong so often. Lord, I'm sorry that I get this wrong and go through the motions. And so, Lord, we want to commit as a people to bring you praise because you are worthy, to be the sort of worshippers that you seek Worshippers that worship in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we want to lay down worshipping that which has been created rather than the creator yourself. Lord, help us to do that as we move forward as a church this year. In your precious name. Amen.